for April 10th, 2023. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 771. Yeah. It's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, but really a shadowy cabal, an organization that has existed on the fringes and in the shadows of society uh, for, for centuries, if if not millennia. Uh, this week, John Wick 4, uh, John Wickiest, and... Uh, <laughs> You know, John Wikipedia, and we have, uh, and, and I am, uh, I am your podcaster from the high table. Uh, I'm, uh, Matt Rather. I am here with my associates. Pete Fenzel, will you serve? <laughs> I, I will, so I don't remember what the response to that is. I think it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Mark Lee, will you serve? Will you be of service? People keep asking if I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm back. That's a callback from the first John Wick movie. And also a reference to the fact that I missed several episodes of this podcast due to travels and fatigue from related travels. But yeah, I'm back. It's great. It, uh, it's good to have you. You, you, you working again, Mark? Be, be seeing you, Jimmy. Um, that's, uh, Tom Sadowski who plays the, the local cop in John Wick's one, one and two, who investigates the massive drops of bodies and in the second movie explosions at his house. We're talking about John Wick, uh, and we're having a, a John Wick cast. And, uh, so all spoilers, all books for, uh, for John Wick. I, you know, when I, I, I think I'm the only one. So I might, I might come in with some of the lore here because I watched all four movies, uh, or three movies. I watched all four movies, the three preceding I watched on video. And then this one, uh, I went to, went to see in the, the theater. Actually, back in the old theater in Culver City that I used to go to, that was when we were doing like a movie of the week every week, it was my Sunday ritual to go, you know, and see a daytime, see like a late morning, early afternoon showing of a film. And, and this, uh, this theater was an arc light. So they, they went bankrupt over the pandemic and they, uh, they ceased operations. And, uh, it was, um, it was taken over by Amazon Studios, which bought out some of the historical studio space uh, in in Culver City. So I, I went to an Amazon owned, though not Amazon branded movie theater where I, th- I think they use it as their like corporate screening room during the week. I think they use the thing uh, for that. And I saw saw John Wick on the old on the big screen in the cinema, blessedly free of other people whose opinions I don't care about and don't want to know about. So, uh, yeah, I saw uh, saw John Wick uh, today. Uh, side note, just since you mentioned you saw it on Amazon owned theater, that means he didn't get um uh, our old pal, um, I'm blanking on her Nicole name. Kidman. Uh, Nicole Kidman. Yeah, bless you. Or return you back to the the the, the sanctum, sancta sanctorum of the movie theater, and tell you the heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Uh, you miss out on that important uh, part, ritual part of the movie going experience. Heartbreak, bone break, leg break, rib break feels good in a place like this. <laughs> 
being even if it's John Wick inflicting all those upon you with nunchuck bullet being shot by a semi-automatic pistol feels good in a place like this over and over and over (laughs) and over and over over again I stumbled out into the light after uh, you know after sitting in the sitting in the darkness of uh, of John Wick you know stumbled out of it uh, you know feeling good feeling feeling like I had um uh seen an ordeal so i i you know i i watched the whole the wick extended universe the whole jwcu and uh <laughs> i'm very uh very very excited about it so uh pete i i i know um that in this film tea is served uh, and that can mean only one thing. <laughs> there is a Downton Abbey moment in 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 John Wick. Remember the the Downton Abbey moment is is Pete's is a Fenzelian innovation to uh, a thought technology to help explain the television show Downton Abbey. Uh, it is a secondary scene where the characters talk about something that seems unrelated to the main plot, but is everything to do with the main plot or or more more often the themes of the film. And they are doing something like uh, doing something inconsequential. Uh, like having tea. Is it the tea party, Pete, where uh, uh, where the Downton Abbey moment takes place, or is it some other moment in this uh, in this overlong film? Well, so for me, the Downton Abbey moment and the doorway to interpretation, or perhaps the confirmation of interpretation that I came across as I was trying to understand this movie while enjoying it, is the museum scene. Is the Louvre? More than the tea party. I love the Louvre scene in this movie. Uh, yes, some movies you want the love scene. This movie you want the Louvre scene. Um, and uh, so, for those who aren't familiar, uh, this is a movie about Keanu Reeves dressed in a black suit, killing everyone because there is an evil scars guard who is given given uh, unlimited power by basically the vampire court, except they're not vampires; they just have guns uh, to hunt him wherever he goes all over the world. And the owner of the Continental Hotel, played by Ian McShane, visits this sort of head bad guy in the Louvre, which he just gets to hang out in as one of the uh, the ways that we intuitively are told what his temporal power and wealth are, even though it is never explained to us. The Marquis, as it were, right, who just like hangs out at the Palais de Luxembourg, just like has lunch there, whatever he wants, and just like gets whole wings of the Louvre shut down so he can sit on a couch that matches his suit, right? It's that kind of guy, right? He's just like, he's so wealthy and he's so powerful. So so there's two things that happen in the Louvre scene here uh, that are uh, that I think are particularly important to the movie. And the first is a confirmation of the color scheme of the movie, uh-huh. and which is a little counterintuitive, right? Which is that the uh, as you noticed, they, when they walk into the wing, I think it's the Napoleon wing of the Louvre. I'm not sure exactly which one. Um, when he walks into the wing, uh, there's there's a, a red wall, and then there's a whole bunch of romantic paintings, romantic historical paintings that are and they're not like love scene romantic historical they're louvre scene romantic historical paintings you know this is like 19th century you know uh clouds and passion and war and death and history and you know the sort of intensity of emotion defining art and human experience uh and in this room is seated the marquee in in a slightly off-white suit on a slightly slightly off-white couch and all the art is really dark and hard to see uh, I don't know if you guys felt the same way or noticed that, but the art is filmed in such a way that it's hard to see, whereas the marquee is is white. I mean, he's a scars guard, so he's very white person in general, uh, and uh, which is why they make such great um, 
antagonists and sort of anti-heroes, I suppose, is that is the sort of like otherworldliness of of what they look like. Um the whole fam. And then he has the white the white suit and the white the white couch. And and, and uh the, the paintings are of course the part that is is good. You know, if 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 John Wick is good, the paintings are good. And if the marquee is is bad, then 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 white is bad, right? And by white I mean light. This is a movie in which the hero is is in darkness the whole time, and in which sort of looming, overwhelming destruction and death are light. Um, and I feel like this is really important, or at least it helped me out because I was feeling a little lost. But once I picked up on that, which was not from this scene, but from previous scenes, that the the sort of the white light is the thing that kind of John Wick exists in the negative space of and the relationship between a sort of terror and death and obliteration that it represents um, and, and in various forms. And we can go into that more. Not necessarily obliteration, a complex relationship between this movie and the sort of memories of the dead. But but Winston goes past and remarks, well, he goes past and looks at two paintings. And the Downton Abbey moment here doesn't necessarily even have too many words. It's the paintings that Winston looks at. Because uh, Winston first looks at Eugene Delacroix's Liberty Leading the People, right, which is a very famous painting um, about a, a, a rated NC-17 production of Les Mis, right, where, um, where we have a – yeah, do you hear the people saying? No, you can show – you can have – You see the people kill, yeah, shoot no, it, their guns a, and – yeah. <laughs> Well, I say that there only because there, the there can be toplessness in a, in a in an R rated movie. movie. It's an R rated movie. It's brief nudity. It's just frozen in history forever. <laughs> um, but yes, it's the you know it's Marie right, the symbol of uh, uh, French liberty. Uh, you know, with sure. her sort of peasant's uh, garment torn open and all of the you know bayonets and the and the sort of industrial workers rising up and the smoke. And he comments on this to the Marquis about how this is sort of a threat to tyrants. Right. And uh, and the marquee kind of dismisses it. It doesn't really amount to much because, you know, this uh, this is this is, is in certain respects threatening to be a movie about a revolution, but really, really, really doesn't feel like it. I don't know if you guys agreed with that, but this idea that John Wick is out to kill the marquee so that the high table can be brought low and like justice and goodness can be restored to the assassin world. <laughs> uh, that, that was really the vibe I was picking up on that. And, and I also no, think the Marquis that, was afraid of that though, to be really, yes, clear. he was afraid of that. And that was what he was preoccupied with. That was the painting that he was sitting in front of. That was the painting that he was contemplating. And we can go into whether what anybody does in this movie makes any sense in terms of achieving a sort of temporal political goal in this crazy world that they all live in. But then as he's leaving, he stops, Winston stops at another painting. And I believe, Leave. And please correct me if I'm wrong, because it's either this painting or a painting very similar to it. He stops at Theodore Jericho's The Raft of the Medusa, right? Another romantic painting that's in the Louvre. That is correct. Which, or at least that's yeah. what I read. That's what I read it as as well. OK, good. I'm glad I'm not alone in that because I was like, man, I have to remember what this painting is. This painting is really important. We're lingering. On, this is a movie that like does not linger on like the burning corpse of someone shot with like, you know, a, a, a dragon's breath flaming round for more than a second or two. And we're spending like a couple of long seconds looking at this specific painting. Though when um, Ian, Ian McShane crossing right Right. There is yeah. a long tracking shot at the beginning of the sequence that you're talking about as he walks down this long, the long gallery, you know, the like the, the kind of long hallways of the Louvre. Right. Like and the camera tracks with him. I think he might even be whistling. 
yeah. you know, as he kind of, as he, as he crosses along. And I thought, wow, this is, you know, this, this is going to be an important scene. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like it was italicized, bolded and underlined yes. just by, just by like, almost as though, as though Ian McShane is the cursor, you know, being dragged across all of this artwork, <laughs> but to select it by the, you know, by the mouse of the editor, I suppose. But that, uh, yeah, it is, uh, the raft of the Medusa. You want to tell the story of the ma- the raft of the Medusa? Uh, no, I don't. I'm not okay. an art history guy. I only no, know no, that no. I only know the greatest hits album. <laughs> well, uh, I, I don't know the history of the painting. It has a lot going on. It's it's more than just about the historical event. But the historical event of the raft of the Medusa is about a shipwreck. Uh, like I believe where most of the people got out on lifeboats, but a whole lot of them didn't, and something like 150 people end up on this on this ramshackle raft uh that is being towed by another boat uh and the other boat is so scared that these people that it's towing are going to like overwhelm the boat and kill it that they that and like overtake it and like disrupt them that they end up cutting the boat loose and the people on the boat basically go crazy like they they kill each other they cannibalize each other there's sorts of acts of horrible wanton destruction and um you can see this in the painting the raft of the medusa which has you know corpses in it sort of uh floating away in the water but also you know a sort of triumphant young black man who's kind of holding a a uh a waving kerchief over his head which is i think supposed to talk be about the sort of liberation of the human spirit and of kind of human existence in the face of like the obliteration of, of order and society, right? Like, uh, but I think the way it's focused on in the in the in the movie is not that angle of it. They don't think they dwell on that part of it. I think it's more about the the corpses and the struggling and the idea that you think that this is a liberty leading the people situation where John Wick is going to show up and he's going to overthrow you, and if you beat John Wick then you're going to you know maintain your power but really this is through the eyes of Winston right and what Winston is is he's the hotel owner he's one of the people who's responsible for the rules of society and this is a movie that's highly concerned if not overtly explicative of the difference between the rules of society and the rulers of society right the difference between being in power and and then also you know um establishing and fostering norms of behavior Right. Uh, and, and that's a soft way of putting it. You know, the rules, as they're considered in this movie, are harder than rules of and the norms of behavior. They have they have consequences. Right. That are very clear. Uh, but at the same time, people like Winston or the Osaka Continental owner, the, the keepers of the Continental in the John Wick movies are not the people in charge of the world. They're not the high table, but they are the people in charge of the rules, the safe havens, right? The sort of courtesy, the currency, all of the things that this crazy assassin society finds its respite and its formality in, which sort of allows it to function. And the Marquis is of the opinion that these are sort of outdated, right? That like they're getting in the way of me exercising power. I want to undermine the Continentals. I want to kind of get rid of the safe spaces because I want to be in charge and I want to kind of like, force my hand over everything. And I think the the lingering on the raft of the Medusa is about this state that that people are put in in this movie and sort of hypothetically in other related situations where the the rules of, you know, hospitality, courtesy, decency, even amongst, 
you know, the the harshest and most murderous of people are abandoned. It is not one in which, you know, there is a sort of orderly march of a line of people to supplant the old order with a new order. It is a sort of ghastly war of all against all, right? It is, it is a sort of slaughter. It is a savagery. Um, but it's a savagery that has a sort of human passion to it. Um, and I felt like that was really important to this movie because I don't think you can see John Wick in this movie as doing what he's doing in order to accomplish a worldly goal. Like, I feel like the killers in this movie, yeah, they have, like, things that they want to do, but a lot of them are tr- not more than trapped. They are, you know, painted into their circumstance, and their motivation in their circumstance is dictated by the way that they're painted into the circumstance. And the and the way they're painted in the circumstance is they'll be murdering their best friend or something like that, right? Like, that's what you're going to have to do because this is the way that things are. Um, and that a lot of the movie is spent – with John Wick confronting various sorts of ways to try to achieve some measure of self-knowledge or enlightenment or something to make sense of, if not, you know, peace, if not a sort of end to this suffering and end to this sort of chaos, if not victory, then some sort of romantic uh, expression, understanding, you know, that, 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 uh, that, that sort of comes forth. From this state that he is in, this state where every scene he goes into, he has to kill everybody in the room or they're going to kill him. You know, More specifically like, of the state, just to remind folks who haven't you know, forgotten the backstory and you'll be forgiven yeah. for doing so. Right. It's like everything stems from the death of his wife. Right. And his failed attempt to leave the shadowy assassin world right. and become a normal person. Well, you remember, um, he, he like did such it. a long time ago. He, d- he did it right. Like he he killed all those men with a pencil. Uh, you know, you remember early in the, 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 the Wick prehistory, you know, um, he has a lot of the gold coins, uh, so he must've done a, a, a lot of killing, um, before, before getting out, I said, I, to, to get married to his wife. Um, and he, uh, he was just when he thought it was out, they keep pulling him back in because Theon Greyjoy, right. Comes, comes to his house and, uh, shoots his beagle. He he shoots oh. his he he kills his dog. No. That's, Are you that's, sure it's not a basset hound, man? No, it's not. It's not as good as that. <laughs> it's it's the second best dog. Okay, okay. Uh, it's the the you know. Um, I think it was a beagle puppy. It's a poor man's beagle puppy. Yeah, yeah. the poor man's basset hound is a beagle but, puppy. You know. The, the, I'm glad you brought brought up that kind of like you know, how exactly he was drawn back in because like it was on one hand it was that chance a chance meeting right it's like you just. Went to fill up in gas and just happened to pull up next to the wrong person. Um, on the other hand, though, right, the subsequent events. Theon, the following, Theon of House Greyjoy. Uh, yes, that that asshole. Um, the the other the events of the, that follow there clearly show like you know people keep showing up, you know, calling in favors <laughs> for John and like you know pulling him back in. Right, we're not even if we're not for um, the, the crazy events of the first movie, um, his past would have caught up with him. Or even if like you know, even if his wife is somehow not succumbed to a um, to a horrible illness, um, his past would have come would have been coming back. So yeah, it's a, just I just gonna agree with Pete. You know, that's a good interpretation of what's going on here right now. He's trying to find new meaning in his life after the death of his wife, um, and um, and a, and a failed attempt to leave uh, the assassin world behind. So he gets pulled back in. It's like, and it's not necessarily right. I'm gonna burn the whole thing down. Right? You know, he's gonna. To kill the the, the marquee and uh, or at least in, in you know spoilers for this movie right he dies right he he finds 
some sort of honorable death. And also the key to understanding uh, what his motivation is and what this movie is about is look at the the other two characters, um, the other key characters in this movie, um, the um, the uh, Kane, <laughs> very on the nose named <laughs> Kane, and then also the uh, owner of the Osaka Hotel. Right? They are both assassin men. They don't have wives in the picture, but the both of them have daughters. Very importantly, right? They have left the legacy behind. John Wick uh, never had children. I mean, granted, he had a um, you know a, a paternal relationship with a puppy, with a dog, uh, a very good dog, um, but uh, it didn't have that same sort of uh, legacy to leave behind. And so, uh, this was his uh, best attempt. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I'll leave something behind. Near, near as I can tell, John Wick has never had sex. Like he, this, these are these are the chastest R-rated movies <laughs> that I've you know that I've ever seen in Christendom, and that's uh, you know that sort of that's saying something. In spite of Monica Bellucci getting naked in yeah. the second one, to be in, clear, though, right? Like, se- that happened in the second movie, but uh, you know she gets naked. But the the, the real obscenity is that John Wick shoots her in the bath. Uh, that's the, you know, after she's, she's killed herself, but the, um, the, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of returning to what Pete said, said earlier, you know, or, or, you know, what you were picking up on, he's, he's trying to, you know, find some, find some new meaning, find some new kind of way of being alive. It's like someone get this guy, you know, someone get this guy to download the headspace app, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> like, I would say just get him a bird feeder. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Like pair of binoculars, you know, hiking boots. Um, but, uh, uh, yes. And, and, and I, I think that, that it, it reveals the kind of the emptiness of this, the, the world, the world building, um, that has to do with this, you know, extraordinarily brutal work, right. Business, you know, and it's always it's talked about as business throughout the movies. These are transactions. No business may be conducted on the continental grounds. Right. The um, the business where uh, uh, that uh, it's juxtaposed against this, you know, super rigidly mannered um, society, this like really Downton Abbey ish uh type of you know type of behavior and formality and you know kind of ritualized ritualized social interactions uh epitomized by nothing so much as uh in the 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 scene uh where John Wick is fighting with Common in the second movie uh because uh because he shot uh he shot a woman in the bath and um John Wick was uh is is and they're they're you know rolling around they're locked in a in a death struggle and they crash through a window that happens to be the window of the the uh Continental Hotel and there is there is Lance Reddick you know uh Cedric Daniels from uh from the wire standing there and saying gentlemen you know perhaps you would like a drink in the lounge and uh, <laughs> they, they stand up and dust themselves off. And Keanu Reeves looks at Common and says, gin. And uh, <laughs> Common looks at Keanu Reeves and says, bourbon. Yeah. 
and they, you know they they go they go and sit in the lounge. So there's this like there's this like extraordinarily mannered performance of you know polite society juxtaposed against this uh, uh, juxtaposed against the the sort of brutality. Um, you know, the brutality of the, the world and what it does. I mean, uh, yeah. And, and it, I, I think that this, like the, the, um, the shadow plot of this movie is that this is sort of starting to, to break down, whether it is, I'm not even sure what the marquee's like new ideas are. Um, right. Like what, well, I'm not sure what his, is he like a, a Robert Moses figure trying to, <laughs> you know, trying to remake the criminal underworld with, you know, giant mega block projects and like, uh, you know, highways or something like that. Like, what is he, you know, is he like trying to roll back history to a, to a more feudal, uh, to a more feudal time where, you know, the kind of the, the war of all against all was fought between power centers, which were, you know, in the, the inside of which was relatively stable, but which, you know, kind of skirmished all the time on, uh, at the borders with one another rather than having this, this, you know, with this, uh, society. I don't know. Is he, uh, is he, uh, does he represent, uh, Silicon Valley, right? And he wants someone <laughs> in this movie to get a smartphone. You know, that that's uh, <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure what his program of social change is, but that is sort of one uh, that is sort of one threat to it. And then the other the other threat, I, I'm not sure that the 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 people who live in the criminal underworld can be called uh, the proletariat. They they certainly seem to live in very nice hotels all the time, but um, they can uh you know, I guess they could, they could want to throw off the chains of their overlords or the, you know, the kind of the, the quasi mythic status that the rulers have is disrupted by, by John Wick taking the fight to them and, and things like this. But it, you know, it is clear that the, the, um, it is clear that the, the world is breaking down. Um, I, I, when I watched these films, the first three films, I thought, to myself, surely this is adapted, right? Like surely a world as sort of, uh, as, you know, r- richly drawn, you know, as kind of like, um, suggestive and, and intriguing as this had to have like been developed over the course of like decades of comic books or something like that. And it, it was in fact not the case. It turns out that someone just wrote the movie. Um, and I was, you know, I thought that was, that was quite an achievement because though the series does seem to pull lore out of its ass, uh, it does, it is all of a piece, the lore, you know what I mean? You would, you know, um, like it, you so there there could be moves that they would make that would ring false uh in terms of the like the the very the you know anachronistic uh society the the sort of i don't know the the steampunk um honor society that they that they have that like includes traces of uh traces of every culture's sort of criminal criminal underworld whether it's you know bedouin uh you know, I don't know, traveling, roving bandits, you know, in the, in the desert to like uh, uh, to pre-revolutionary French aristocrats to um, I, you know, I don't know, other uh, to to uh, Asian organized crime 
et cetera, et cetera, to, you know, to the kind of the old decrepit, uh, families, families of Europe. Pete, you, you had, um, you said that that you reviewed the story of how the the first film was written. Is that something you could talk about? Sure, well, I'll talk about a little bit of it. So the first John, and this is just this will be broad strokes just to narrativize it. Um, the first John Wick movie is the not not the first attempt, you know, not the second attempt, but something around the sixty second attempt by its uh, writer Derek Kolstad to to get a like mainstream movie produced um i, I believe I, i'm writing the reading the story of how he wrote the movie he did write no fewer than 60 other screenplays uh in like the couple of years before he wrote this movie um his uh mom was a uh, children's book author um which uh who actually her last name her surname is wick and john wick is actually his grandfather's name uh, but but it, eventually the story, uh, which was um, uh, which was very different when he wrote it, was it was about it was going to star somebody like Clint Eastwood or old Harrison Ford or something as a sort of aging hitman who gets sort of brought back into the world, whose like wife has been dead for a long time and has to sort of come back in and settle old scores and things like that. Um, and uh, and I think it's specifically about like. I don't want it to be about his wife being killed. Like his wife is already dead, but it's something like, you know, something like the dog being killed, something like that brings him back in. Um, and he shopped it around to a lot of people and got a couple of interest, uh, interested parties, but the people who produced John Wick, um, which is now I have to like go back and, and find out who the various uh, executive producers are for reading this whole thing. Um, uh, well, Basil Iwanek, he of uh, he from Teaneck, New Jersey, which is very close to where I grew up. Uh, um, also, where the Isley Brothers are from. Go, go, FDU Knights, uh, and the biggest upset in college uh, basketball history this March Madness. But he's done such things as you know, um, the town and and K nineteen, the Widowmaker, and stuff like that. And he he heard about this and uh, and thought it was good and liked the idea. Um, and uh, and he connected with connected with Keanu Reeves, his agent, sort of at random through a friend. And then Keanu Reeves is looking for an action movie. And so they the idea of him being 75 changes when Keanu Reeves gets brought in because the idea is, well, Keanu Reeves himself isn't that old, but in movies he is old. Like he has a Hollywood history that will give us the sort of meta sense that he is old. Right. That, that uh, he's a person that we've known. Um, right. And uh, yeah, sad Keanu meme. Came a few years before John Wick, right? Which yeah, is yeah, again the yeah. meta narrative, right? Which is the aforementioned quote, like "I'm back," yeah, right. This and then once company. they ha- once they have Keanu attached to it, they try to shop it around some more, and a bunch of the the studios want to have his whole family get killed at the beginning of the movie. Like, oh no, we'll just give him his family at the beginning of the movie, and then they can all die, and he can go out for revenge. And they're like, we're not doing that. You know, <laughs> that's not what we're doing. Um, and uh, and they refuse and refuse, even though so even though, um. You know, Basil, as it were, was the uh, was the lowest bid for the screenplay. He ends up getting it. And then Keanu insists that the Matrix stunt coordinators are the guys who direct it. Right. Uh, uh, the uh, Stahelski, Chad Stahelski as the uh, as the director, um, you know, they, they, so he wants to work with them on this. He thinks they could bring a lot to it and he thinks they should be the directors. And then they're the ones who bring in the idea that he's like the boogeyman. 
right? So, like, the, the story sort of gets built out. There's no point in which somebody sits down and, like, the whole story is mapped out in a way that makes sense. It's that each time the project gets to a new stage, and I'm sure this happens to a lot of projects, but it's interesting how drastically it changes each time in John Wick, the movie changes in some really important way, right? So like now it's like, oh, you know, he's not just an old hitman. He's like an urban legend. He's a guy that people don't think is real or don't think exists, right? And like, he's come back and that, okay, that's really exciting. And then Keanu Reeves sits down and helps do a rewrite of the script where they delete like almost all his dialogue, right? And that's what like, there's a there's a speech to a priest that's like three pages long that just gets reduced to uh-huh, right? Like it's it's Keanu Reeves himself is very involved in like chopping down all the dialogue in the first John Wick movie. And so you see how sort of each move they make ends up folding into this idea of the world. It emerges organically. Another example uh, is that um, uh, the idea that these murders happen in in public and people just don't respond to them, which in this movie is taken to an extreme, is something that emerged organically from the process of making the first movie, uh, because at one point they were doing some sort of stunt or stuntman or something. He fell down in the middle of the street. Um, it might have even not been, it might have even been, been an accident or something. And the degree to which the people walking by in New York were totally indifferent to the like stuntman falling down in the middle of the road um, is was informed like, oh, that's just how we'll do it in this movie. Everybody in the movie mm, who isn't in the assassin really world is just going to be like, whatever, right? So it's actually more modeled on the idea of this is what it's like to film a movie <laughs> in which people are shooting guns at each other in a world in which that sort of thing is commonplace than in uh, – at least in terms of its intent. But, of course, the author is dead, and, and how you interpret it is going to be meaningful for you. You know, you might look at this and be like, oh, this is a lot like Underworlds. Uh, you know, where the vampires, you know, or like something like Vampire the Masquerade, where the vampires live among us, you know, and uh, and they have their battles with each other. And there's people that are sort of ancillary to them. But by and large, they manage to stay hidden. Um, and when they don't, we sort of excuse it. We assume that somebody's taking care of it. And the men in black come along with their neuralizers or whatever. But that's not where it comes from. So so it's interesting to think that the the way in which, as you described, Matt, the John Wick universe feels like it was pre-crafted. Yeah, I think it's it's a product of the production of this movie, which had like budgetary constraints. Like, why is Ian McShane in it? Because they didn't want people to have to travel. So they didn't cast anybody who lived far away from where they were shooting. <laughs> like that, mm. that's that's why a lot of the people who are in the movie are in the first movie, because they were in New York at the time. Sure. You know, like uh, which is, of course, not a strange idea. But like when you're sitting here and being like, well, why do the gold coins mean this and that? Which, of course, is fun and interesting to do. Um, it's just if you've ever been skeptical of the notion that there's a gap between the intentions of the people making a piece of art and what you understand as the communicated, intuitively understood intention of the art as you interpret it. If you've never thought there's an introversible gap between those two things, like read about the production of John Wick and then watch it right? because it doesn't come off like, oh, well, of course, this is the 60 second screenplay this guy wrote. Right. Like, that's really important. You know, like he wrote like 30 other hitman movies or whatever. Right. Like, uh, no, like it comes off as like we wanted to make this story because this is a really great story. Um, and, so and then and it so changed forth. a ton on the way. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I love that background, Pete. So I'm going to take that and then I'm going to kind of, um, I guess, like backfill in right intent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where, yeah. Where, where it probably didn't exist. Right. Um, because I, I always found it like such an interesting, very intentional choice. Right. They have these. Um, brutal fight sequences that play out in public and no no, no one takes notice. Now, that's just a, an asterisk there, right? In the Berlin disco scene here, 
um, eventually, like the fight uh, gets to a point where uh, all the uh, the partygoers have to evacuate, and they they react and they flinch and they scream in horror, and eventually do go out. However, also in the in the other in this huge fight and and car sequence in the Arc de Triomphe, right, like dozens of people die and they're like thrown against cars, and it's just like yes. eh, okay, in a giant is, intersection, basically. Is yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the 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 dancers are German, Mark. They probably just assume it's some weird sex thing because that's you know that's just what they do. You know? That's what a club Indeed. in Berlin so, is like. So, so you've got that aspect of the world. Building. Stefan is riddled with bullets right now. You've got, you've got a- Berlin, Berlin's hottest club <laughs> is getting shot by John Wick. This it has everything. Has everything yeah. <laughs> so you got that aspect of the world building. You've got also, in at least in the New York John Wick movies this geographic um disorientation where like you know john wick seems to be like traveling in one direction but you know the the landmarks that he's traversing are like uptown downtown uh you know east side west side just like doesn't make any sense at all right there's again there's like a disconnect from the the the, the real world um and then you've got the violence itself of course which like escalates 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 and then you have like uh john wick falling three four stories multiple times throughout <laughs> these movies and his fall is broken by him you know bam hitting a, a metal object and then bam hitting the ground like in a looney tunes up to looney tunes-esque level of cartoonish violence and then he stands up and walks away right like to me and the movie makes clear is also like he is vulnerable right he takes quite a bit of damage he bleeds you know he bleeds and can kill it so on and so forth um so the whole package here right is one of this like surreality right like it lives with it like there it, it has this veneer of our reality sh- inhabiting our world but and yet is like very notably disconnected oh i'll throw in one other thing as well too right which is that uh in this movie it's uh, it's april in osaka because the cherry blossoms are out um as we all know from this podcast uh, and, and pete's explications uh, cherry blossoms mean death um very true in this uh and then smash cut to new york city where there's snow on the ground and uh reader let me tell you uh, it doesn't snow in april in new york city like n- never to the point where like there's enough accumulated for uh to you know add um you know that that uh, som- additional somberness uh to 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 a to a graveyard type of scene like it, it just doesn't happen right so everything's very surreal in this movie um, you know, you got this marquee and you have no idea where his earthly wealth comes from and you don't know where the assassins get their money from either. Um, and somebody mentioned vampires before and vampires is a really great way to think about this. There is an undeadness, undead quality to all the assassins and what is they're doing. And then like, as everyone is undead, John w- and John Wick paradoxically, um, as he just murders people and just like kills hundreds of people, he is trying to achieve some sort of life of living um so like that's my kind of very long way around the barn of like trying to tie all the the world building and its weirdness and its inconsistency to the thematic um to thematic uh importance of what is that we're going on here is any of that resonating with you guys yeah definitely i mean i I know the cherry blossoms mean death (laughs) i mean they mean they mean death I guess yeah. I'm the, was I was the first one to watch Bleach on the podcast, right? But it's more than that. It's because it's death, but it's also the death of the samurai, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, and and so so if John Wick isn't making a sort of very grounded migration from one place to another in the various locations, then what is he doing? Where is he going? And I think that in this movie, he's visiting various sorts of aspects 
sort of mythological aspects of who he might be, you know, sort of different, different parts of his identity, personality, self-conception, other conception. Uh, and, and he goes to these places on sort of a, on a pilgrimage. It's almost like a, like, like a, a an allegorical pilgrimage uh, right. story, right? Where he goes to all of these different places. They each have something different to say about who he is. And he goes there searching for something and just ends up being, you know, betrayed, abandoned, right? Like come, come after by a tons of people with guns and has to kill a whole bunch of people uh, until he finally gets to the end. Um, and, uh, and, and then he achieves something else. But so, so for example, the Osaka thing, right? Like I love, love, love the nunchuck fight in this movie, which is a sentence that I expect to say in most movies with nunchuck. <laughs> but this is a particularly great nunchuck fight. I love, and I'm sure it's nunchaku or whatever, but I, I want to call them nunchucks for the purpose of uh, this being a, a sort of action movie nunchuck fight. Because it isn't an action movie nunchuck fight. That's what's interesting. Because I think one of the things that is often missed about nunchucks is how dangerous they are and how badly it hurts to get hit in the face with a heavy piece of wood. Right? So like, uh, uh, like this idea that you have to be like super swinging the nunchucks around and being like super like fancy uh in order to hit people with nunchucks this is like a nunchuck fight where keanu reeves is like very compact and like sort of like chucking out the nunchuck stick to like hit this guy in the face hit that guy in the face hit that guy in the face swing it around swing it around his neck shoot this guy shoot that guy right like um the the thing that i one of the things i love about the nunchuck fight is he goes to the osaka continental which is this tribute to the samurai and the samurai of course being the retainer the the zen retainer right uh who practices the way of the warrior and sort of seeks moments of enlightenment in the completion of their sort of everyday tasks and living and their relation to like the real world and and how they walk in it as a means for sort of self-understanding and the sort of cycle of rebirth and death uh and there's all this art about samurai that is all over the place and going back to the museum scene all of the art of the samurai is extremely brightly lit and that is a thing that stands out so much in this movie to me. Like this movie could not be made on film because you could not capture the light the way that they do in this movie, which honestly is probably objectively speaking, not that well done. Like it's sort of, it overwhelms. It, it was overbearing. It makes things hard to see a lot of the time. Well, it's but an I aesthetic. You the, could say, yeah. you could say that it's an aesthetic beyond the, the classical aesthetic of like, yes, yes, yes. of film cinematography. You know, it reminded me a lot of Dick Tracy. Uh, oh. and it's, I don't know if you remember, but it's Dick Tracy did a lot in terms of like colorful light, pools of water reflecting yep. the kind of like the neon colored light. There it was like the, you know, the kind of the stagnant pools of water on the street representing the, you know, the, the light from a street light that just was pink for some reason, you know, <laughs> or this, but it did, it did a really, uh, it did a really, uh, uh, you know, similar thing, but kind of amped up, like amped way, way, way up to, to a degree where, yeah, the, the light didn't illuminate the subjects. The light kind of overwhelmed the subjects of yeah. the, uh, of the thing that the camera was photographing. Yeah. And this resonates with, uh, I guess, if you were say there's another Downton Abbey moment later in the movie when he meets Donnie Yen in the church, Donnie Yen has a line that stuck out to me, which he says, the dead are gone. Right. 
And Donnie Yen is the sort of anti-John Wick. And I don't think we're supposed to believe him because throughout this whole movie, the dead are very much not gone. They are more present than the living. In the samurai hotel, the dead are like super shining brightly as this overwhelming presence. The petals are still perfectly on the cherry blossom trees, right? All the armor is still encased in, you know, glass and it's sort of uh, breakable cases. And then there are those stained glass neon LED samurai art pieces. And and against those, you have the very ugly, practical nunchuck fighting. You know, you have this sort of super artistic, super suspended in 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 this sort of Zen elevated space of all the artistic representations of the samurai. And then you have this like sweaty, lanky dude like who's like 50, 55 years old, like smacking other dudes in the face with a stick, you know, like as they come around corners, even though they're wearing the sort of Oni masks, um, the 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 nunchuck, the fight, even though it involves the classical weapons is very non romantic fight. It's a very, I mean, I won't say it's gritty, but this was also a movie in which the sort of choreography that is characteristic of the previous John Wick films, I think, is allowed to deteriorate in its level of, of composedness in certain scenes. So sort of like you sort of watch John Wick really on the edge, like he's tired, you know, like the, the fights are looking sloppy. Now, it's not that the, the uh, choreography is bad. It's just like the idea of John Wick trying to struggle as a living being in this conception of himself as the sort of one in a series of these warriors who have sort of found enlightenment in their status as a warrior, you can see how his state of living is kind of inadequately matched to what he's trying to do. And ultimately the samurai hotel falls and, you know, there's the whole thing where it's like, he killed my father, you know, I'm going to go out for vengeance, you know, like, like, and John Wick ends up kind of not part of that. He ends up sort of not like it. The samurai ends up being the woman, not him. Right. Like uh, um, she ends up being the hero of the samurai story um, and I guess or the ninja story, I suppose, given how it ends. Um, And he's there for it and he's the warrior, but he doesn't find what he's looking for there. He sort of goes to this place that's like overwhelmingly well lit. He is in negative space in darkness, fighting other dudes in darkness. His fight is kind of messy and sloppy relative to the elegance and artistry of the uh, uh, of the of the dead who are present. Right. And um, and this, I think, repeats throughout. You know, like he's fighting under the falling waterfall, which is overwhelmingly lit. You know, the rave fight, uh, you know, there's there's just there's like super bright light that's coming in through the top of the dance club in Berlin. And the camera goes like right into it while John Wick is walking by. Um, and, and he's sort of going after the guy who killed his dad, sort of his like adopted father from his Roma community or whatever. Um, his paterfamilias, as it were. Uh, and this sort of overwhelmingness of it. He is so small, relatively. He calls him. He calls him uncle, doesn't he? Uncle, uncle yes, uncle yes, Peter, yes. Peter. Yeah, you know yeah. your your namesake. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, yeah. So, I mean, I could, I mean, I could continue to go on with all this stuff, but I'll well, pause. I mean, let, let, let's let's go to the the end, yeah. right? With the sunrise. Okay, yeah, sure. Sunrise at uh, Sakrae Oh man. Yeah, lovely, right? So, so it, have you climbed? I've climbed those stairs. Have you climbed those? That those stairs. Oh my goodness. We should we should skip to to sunrise though later. <laughs> but I have I like no no, no let's, let's, let's talk about the stairs. Yeah. Oh no, I almost got to the end. Oh, <laughs> well, that's so, <laughs> oh, oh that, I, that was so it was so 
<laughs> that was that was funny, film. right? Just, well, just, just just make sure we're on the same page. Going back to the was, kind of Looney level of violence in this movie, right? It was hilarious, but I think it did it did something. I mean, I think that that like a lot of the a lot of the reference in this series of films and this one especially and in this universe has to do not to anything historical or social but has is a reference to movies about a particular historical or or social mm. thing right and so like whether it's Lawrence of Arabia or whether it's you know any number of kind of like Japanese noir uh crime movies or if it's any any, uh, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The Warriors. Right, yes. With the, with the DJ, yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100% the Warriors with the DJ. Or, um, like the, the overhead shot, the, you know, a long uninterrupted take, uh, video game shot of the kind of in on the, the path up. What is that? Montmartre, right? Like uh, when they go into a, into a house, uh, they're doing a home alone, by the way, going into a booby trapped house. <laughs> And then, uh, and then they do, um, it's, it's sort of a take on the end of Taxi Driver where, uh, Scorsese, the, the end of Taxi Driver is a, uh, like a, a long moving shot that looks down at this, uh, at this apartment where all this violence has taken place. And it's, um, uh, it's, it's a shot that looks down at, and it was shot on location. It was a real location, but it sort of turns the, the high angle turns it into a movie set. It, doing a, a similar thing while the violence is happening, turning it into a, a video game, you know, like that's, that, uh, I, I thought, uh, going up the stairs, I thought, this is this is a stretch this association is a stretch but i thought of the the long hallway fight in old boy uh where it's just like the the motion is very simple it moves from left to right you know and it's this really long 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 uh long single fight except this one is diagonal you know it moves like up and to the to the right as it goes and the the you know the the opponents just keep on coming and then he rolls down and what's that a reference to well the the um there were two i think in the first or second Film. I think the second, maybe, because I, I I think it was the one that had common in it. Uh, there were two stunts. Keanu Reeves did did all the stunts except kind of well known, famously two. Uh, one was getting hit by a car, um, and one was falling down a, a a flight of stairs in like Central Park or something like that. In one of those like bridges that goes over, he fa- falls down a, a flight of stairs. Something something along those lines. And so here, right. Uh, they have him get hit by a car 50 times, you know, and here they have him fall down the stairs, tumbling over and over and over and over and over again down to the bottom. So at, at least to me, in my head canon, this is a self-referential moment to, uh, to great moments in John Wick's and, uh, John Wick's cinematic history. Anyway, sorry, that was a, that was a, a digression, but it was w- one of the things that I thought that would kind of delighted me about the film, or at least, uh, about, uh, my engaging with it. But, uh, uh Pete, uh, I guess, uh, you've, you've, uh, run those stairs, Rocky Balboa style and stood at the top, uh, oh, you know, God, jumping no, with victory. It's far too tall. It was very hot when we were there. We 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 had to fight exhaustion quite a bit. Uh, we did manage to get to the top of Montmartre, though. 
and it was it was pretty brutal. Um, they don't carry water bottles in Paris uh, all that much, which is one of the things that makes that staircase particularly impressive. John Wick also doesn't carry a water bottle. <laughs> um, but yeah, but just the idea though, that like though yeah. the guy. Uh, uh, I forget the actor's name. I sorry, I, I have to look it up. Uh, the the uh, tracker, the bounty hunter, whose backpack flips over to become uh, oh. Oh, uh, yeah. Shamir Anderson, uh, yeah. the name of the actor, the character called Tracker, according to IMDb. I thought that's some EDC. <laughs> nah. there you go. So, so but he I brought think- he brought beer. To be clear, yeah, that's true. <laughs> he didn't bring water. He brought beer. But I guess what we were getting at once you get to the top of the stairs uh, is that um, the last fight is the only fight that's lit in a comprehensible, not a comprehensible way, but that's like lit where John Wick seems to be in a comfortable, uh, visible space. Like maybe not the only one. I don't want to say the only one, but it it culminates in a fight at magic, you know, at sunrise, not magic hour, but it is sunrise where the soft light makes each person involved like very clearly visible. And I no, think. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree a little bit here, right? The the because like John uh, John Wick is backlit for a lot of these shots. Um, oh, in the final there's also duel? like a sur- there's also uh, yeah there's okay. a surreal like CGI uh, composed or like HDR at high dynamic range thing going on, which I, I found a little bit distracting um, because the rest of it is um, uh, you know like lit and composed in a way that is that like, was more believable. That's like a, a pretty small complaint, I think. The, um, set, the sun is the sun is rising behind him, but it was done. It was done. One reason you can tell it was done real is that the sun, the angle of the sun, doesn't match between the wide shots and the close-ups. Uh, oh. So you could see that, like when they shoot the wide shot, it's a little more lit uh, on Donnie Yen's face. Um, rather than the kind of the the more charoscuro angle, the more the more like high, high the more contrasty angle um, when the sun is just a little bit lower uh, on on him. So at least they did this probably over the course of several days. I mean, at least some some part of it was real, and the, the comprehensible parts are the parts that are shot at ninety degrees to the you know to the axis of the action, where you have like Keanu on the right, Donnie Yen on the on the left, you know, looking looking straight. Straight at each other. That is the part that looks that's very kind of classically classically composed and classically lit. Yes, and you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. you also, in terms of the light and the darkness, you have the three men of the darkness. You know, the widower, the blind man, and the black man, uh, who are in the card game, and they kind of are throughout the movie the three sort of you know dark people, the the people who seem to be in a similar sort of existential space with regards to being on the outs with the high table, or you know at least not being with the program. And they also, you know, become, they're, they're uh, sympathetic, if not protagonists, right? The point being that, like, right, right as they're getting up, uh, Keanu Reeves and Donnie Yen take off their black jackets and are in white shirts facing each other also. So there's, uh, perhaps Keanu Reeves doesn't turn to face the sun until he's dying, and he wants to sort of look at the sunrise over Paris right. uh, as, as he's yeah. dying. But the, the idea that he's been in the darkness, and there's something about doing this with Donnie Yen that brings him into the light. And, uh, and of course he has that quote, which I've seen attributed both to samurai and the Bible, uh, that, that about clinging to death, right? You know, who, whoever clings to death shall, whoever clings to life shall die. And whoever clings to death shall live. Um, oh, I think I think Albert Einstein said that. No, it was it was Nelson Mandela. No, it was Mother <laughs> Teresa. I think it was Mother Teresa who said that. Definitely Winston Churchill. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Those are the four. The, yeah, those are the four people who said all quotes on the internet. Yes, it was Dumbledore played by Ian McKellen who said <laughs> who said who um, said do or do not. There is no try. Yeah, uh, yeah. and who and he's exchanging the shots with Donnie Yen and uh, and sort of living very fully in the reality of their duel. And then, of course, saves his shot, kills the Marquis, and dies. Um, and there's. I think I think a simple way to read it is that he discovers the power of friendship, which is like trivializes it and kind of destroys it in a in a, an unfortunate unfortunate way that's not deserved. I mean, they do discuss earlier on the boat the idea that you can't really be. It's easy to be friends with someone when nothing bad is happening, but when the bad stuff is happening, that's when friendship becomes meaningful. And so the the idea of like. When Keanu Reeves is trying to go up the stairs by himself, sure, he can kill all the hitmen, but he goes up the stairs forever. He's Sisyphus, right? He's he's in this meaningless yeah. loop of going up the stairs, fighting the bad guys, getting thrown down the stairs, going up the stairs. And the thing that elevates him to get to the top of the hill is when Donnie Yen comes along and helps him uh, because he's his friend, even though they're sworn to kill each other, uh, you know, by this by this duel. They still help each other. It's a very um, book 23 of the Iliad sort of moment where you're kind of constructing a reason to feel sympathy for the people that you're still required, uh, you know, by your everything, culture, way of living, moral condition, uh, practical reality to murder. Right. Like it's it's a sort of like it's a moral way out of a war of all against all that doesn't require a cheat of some kind. Like, oh, yeah, everyone's going to just get together and put the world in, in the charge of a, uh, of a of a philosopher and then we'll all be better off. Right. Um, or like someone will have a revelation and, and will fix everything. Um, it's, a, it's a dirtier sort of business. But but there's this notion of mutual recognition of people who are in similar circumstances, existential circumstances that I guess you could say feeling seen might be a phrase you would use in association with it. Though, like at the end, John Wick feels seen in a way that he didn't before. Um, and maybe it's because he, maybe he's been seeking it out himself. Maybe he's been seeking to see himself, but the notion of being seen uh, in the darkness and in the light in this movie and the relationship between being seen and enlightenment is particularly a, you know, a samurai style of enlightenment where you're sort of considering the practical realities of your day-to-day existence, you know, the sort of things that you do and work on and the sort of moments that you have there where you can have these opportunities to kind of come to full recognition of the, of the um, poignancy and profundity of what you're doing. Um, you know, that's uh, enlightenment and seeingness uh, are sort of coming together in this moment where John Wick kind of finally becomes who he is or knows who he is, I guess. Um, which, I mean, he says loving husband, right? I guess it's his capacity for connecting with other people, despite the thing that he does for his job. Maybe he doubted it all along. I mean, how did you read that end? Um, that's how I sort of read it as that he sort of came around due to his friendship with Donnie Yen. And also, I suppose the revelation he had, which we can also talk about with Mr. Nobody, which was super important and, 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 and special. Well, the, Um, the, the, the only model, the only successful relationships in, in the, the, film universe are between men and dogs yes that's right and that that's like uh so the it is kind of the relationship with donnie and is is a new kind of thing even winston you know they they go back uh a, a long way to the point where winston can say can you know says farewell my son 
um, uh, or in Russian, Dasvidaniya, my son, uh, the, for the, uh, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the thing, which, you know, I think is probably there to like give the internet a puzzle, right? Like that right. is the, the role of that. Uh, wait, is he really his father? You know, uh, kind of who cares, but the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it's so, I, it so doesn't matter, but the, um, you know, the, the only like, the only successful relationship between people is between John Wick and his wife, and she's dead before the films, uh, before the films begin. Like the, the, the successful marriage, like the happy marriage can't exist in this. There's really no, uh, sex in the John Wick universe. And, and not only is there no sex, there's no seduction, right? Like the, the violence is aestheticized, but never eroticized, uh, which is unusual. Um, for uh this heart of an r <laughs> you know mm-hmm. uh 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 rated rated movie so the the like um oh i've i've just sp- started spinning my wheels and losing it i was i was heading towards something about uh i was heading towards something about how okay. uh, uh, reading reading the end and about uh and about relationships yes and and the you know it they do seem to be uh partnered on something right in in a way that is beyond the transactional you know uh in mcshane's his his father figure or whatever but shoots him at the end of the uh you know at the end of john wick three with no particular expectation that he'll live though he you know he does um it does seem like uh it does seem like there are all these opportunistic and all these kind of transactional elements to every single uh every single relationship like you can be good friends with common you know or at least like respect colleagues but when you've come to rome to kill monica bellucci you know uh even though he's the bodyguard you know you're gonna uh you're gonna follow through on your thing it's just it's it's transactional and the the world seems to be held together by a by a web of obligation of transactional obligation of debts uh that that have to be repaid and this is like in the form of the marker the bloody thumbprints right like this is given like the it's it's visual representation in in the universe and you do think there is this moment um you know walking uh walking up the stairs you think you think like of i don't know of uh of uh Aeneas carrying Anchises or something like that but they're you know they're sort of they're both Aeneas and they're both Anchises or I guess uh, Donnie is Anchises like because he's the father but the the um you know they're they're like engaged in a in a partnership together to accomplish something that is sort of beyond the transactional which is you know to protect uh, Donnie Yen's daughter right like and that's yeah. uh, that's what he's trying to do at the end of the movie right like that he realizes that like that it, that this is kind of the way that he can he can kind of have yeah you know good cheap or fast pick two and he picks kill the marquee and save Donnie Yen's mm-hmm. daughter yeah. um in the in the old uh, John Wick project management triangle. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that great scene where in order to save Rosie, uh, Frodo uh, shoots Sauron in the face right? like, <laughs> while Sam is standing there bleeding from the various stab wounds he's been exchanging with Frodo on top of Mount Doom. <laughs> I, I, will, I will say the Donnie Yen, uh, Keanu Reeves, the sort of uh, friendship in this movie does a lot better job at communicating a sort of cryptic but emotionally meaningful male friendship without a hint of sexual charge. 
than anyone would successfully claim the Frodo Sam relationship. <laughs> well, it's not. It's, it is non. It is non eroticized. I will say that the eagles at the end of this movie just seem like a massive cop out. Like the eagles flying to the top of Sacre, you know, Sacre Coeur, like you know, perching atop the basilica and just carrying Keanu Reeves, Ian McShane, uh, you know, all these people to safety. It just seems like. Um, you know, it just seems like a plot hole to Why me. Why didn't what? they just have the Eagles kill the Marquis in the first place? Right, exactly. They just carry a machine gun on <laughs> the top of the Palais de Luxembourg. <laughs> but we're getting ahead of ourselves here. I mean, Mark, <laughs> what do you think about friendship in this movie? Or about Donnie Yen, I guess. Oh, let's see here. Um, let's start with Donnie Yen okay. first, right? It's a minor complaint. Um, again, uh, he plays a blind warrior, right? Yes. With kind of like sight beyond sight, you know, as he did in Rogue One. So, okay. Like, I was a little bit bothered, like, Donnie did this before, right? But, um, okay, fine. Like, your point of, like, you know, the three men of darkness, like, you know, it really makes sense for, for this movie. So, I'll, I'll allow it. Um, and, uh, but more importantly, right, you know, he, so what, what is Don, Lee, what is Don, Donnie Yen doing in this movie? Right. Um, he, he's there to kind of like present this sort of, you know, calm, if this is, are we meant to believe the last John Wick movie, at least the last one with, with Keanu Reeves in it, because ostensibly his character died. Um, this is all meant to be the apotheosis of this type of like, you know, hard charging martial arts and, and, and gunplay sort of thing. And like, yes, bring Donnie Yen into it. Um, his 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 hand hand combat sequences and and, uh, and and the sword play and everything was just utterly phenomenal. So like, just make that part of the discussion here, right? You know, I'm we're not here to re- review martial arts uh, sequences and martial arts martial arts movies, but um, like you know, y'all, I'm Asian. I've seen all the Ip Man movies. I got an opinion here, and that's my opinion on Donnie Yen. <laughs> That's that, the, is, that is the best, basically, or like it's not him; it's like Jet Li, and then him really close behind, or something like that. Um, I will admit that, like you know, I haven't, I haven't seen too many Jet Li movies, or really, I can't say I've seen. I'm sure I've seen a Jet Li movie. I mean, they um, they overlap a lot. The sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Donnie Yen is is is, is awesome. Like the, the kinetic uh, grace that he brings to the violence is um, it's 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 a little bit it's a little bit different, I think, than what like you know John Wick was bringing. But like the the it's all kind of a piece, right? You know, the, the Hong Kong influence of martial arts, you know, that, that goes to the matrix, you know, and, and those, you know, that crew, you know, bring part over to, to make this movie and Keanu Reeves and all that kind of stuff. Um, did you notice French- in that, in that first scene, which I'm just going to say it, it was too long, but the, uh, the, uh, in that first scene, there were long, long stretches of Donnie Yen without the camera moving. Like in a lot of Keanu, Keanu Reeves stuff, even though there are long takes, the camera moves a lot. Uh, but there were a couple of things where, where he was fighting and the camera was just still. And I always like, I I'm always taken back to the, to the Jackie Chan interview that I saw in, uh, and in every, every frame of painting YouTube video where, <laughs> where Jackie Chan says, if the camera is moving, it's because the actor doesn't really know how to fight. Uh, and that, like, uh, you know, they're they're creating the intensity of the hits by jiggling <laughs> by jiggling the camera, yeah. you know. And uh, there there was a uh, one of my favorite stretches in that that first fight was just camera was completely locked down, like on sticks. It was, you know, uh, and it, he was in the middle of the frame, and he did. 30 45 seconds uh just in in one shot i thought it was i thought it was glorious he was fantastic and, and to be fair and fair like keanu gets like you know his moments of doing that as well too but um yeah i think donnie yen had more of that Sorry. just a quick note on donnie yen uh 
my wife was sort of whispering to me during the movie, there's a lot of people in this movie I recognize, but I don't know who they are. And so after the movie was over, I was like, okay, so that guy is Donnie Yen. And he's like, she's like, yeah, where do I know him from? I was like, well, he's pretty much the number four, maybe number five Hong Kong action star of all time. I actually said number four behind like Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, Jet Li, Donnie Yen. I could have said Chow Yun-Fat. And then those last four, you can put in any order. Right. Like it's basically Bruce Lee and then everybody else. Um, but uh, but he's like one of the legends of Hong Kong cinema. You probably know him from Triple X, the return of Xander Cage. <laughs> and if she's not, like, well, if, okay, not Rogue, if not Rogue One, maybe. <laughs> I was like, well, I said well, he's in Rogue One as the blind Jedi and I don't get a look of recognition for her. I don't know if he, she even saw that one. And I was like, he is big in Triple X, the return of Xander Cage. He's in a lot of movies that I've made you watch. <laughs> but they weren't necessarily like the movies he's known for. <laughs> <You> know, like <laughs> the, the last thing I'll say so, about Donnie Yen, and by extension as well, too, the uh, the, the, the Osaka um, hotel proprietor, whose, whose name escapes me, the character name escapes me. Um, but, you know, earlier we, I, I mentioned that, right, you know, that, uh, you know, those two characters, they have daughters. Um, and they have some sort of legacy and like John Wick is kind of striving for that kind of you know life after death sort of thing. But to the point earlier where we were talking about how like human relationships in this movie are generally speaking like severely compromised and not particularly well functional. And it really is kind of like, you know, a man and his dog It really is where it's at. Um, that also applies to, to, to fathers and daughters to a certain extent in this. Right. Um, the the Osaka father daughter pair, like, it's pretty obvious there. Right. You know, the. The father, there, there's this weird distance between the two. There's an affection, but there's a weird distance because they work together. Um, and like the whole thing about how, like, you know, um, the the the, uh, he, the 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 daughter had to, you know, put din- dinner with uh, with father father daughter dinner onto the calendar um, mm-hmm. on the work calendar to make it happen. Like that speaks to some to to, to to weird distancing. And then of course, you know, she's consumed with revenge, you know, at the at, at her father's death because, um, you know, John Wick brought death with him as he does. Um, and then with the Donnie and uh, father daughter relationship, right? Um, you know, the 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 daughter uh, again, like uh, the the father is bringing death and danger uh, uh, upon the daughter. And oh, by the way, did you guys stick around for the the, the end credit sequence? Yes. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, right. So just for those who missed it, right? The um um this, the 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 Osaka daughter um comes after Donnie's whose name daughter. Is, whose name is Akira, which is a a name that is just freighted with uh associations and yeah. meanings to, you know. choice. But she's Odd a choice. I, I think she's a pop star. I've I've never heard of her, but her name is uh Rina Sawayama. And uh I think she's a like a singer. I think she's a like a pop star. Don't forget Tonks in terms of father daughter relationships, right? Osha uh, or Asha, Osha, not Asha, who the uh, the daughter of the guy of Pyotr who is killed for the Ruska Roma, where it's like she meets this guy and it's like, hey, uh, if you kill the guy who killed my dad, we'll get matching tattoos, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that ritualized branding, which is so needlessly paid. Oh my god, where <laughs> they put their forearms on the bird why does she have to do it <laughs> like i guess because she's it looks cool the because the world building yeah. in this movie is all about things that'll look cool that was great that was totally great um Wait, that's yeah. that's that's osha the wildling yeah that's tonks man that's, from harry potter who takes who takes bran and uh uh, uh who goes up north does, i think her uh, name is tonks um, yeah, no, don't call yeah. her Nymphadora. She goes by Tonks. Chill, yeah. <laughs> chill like Brooklyn, rough like the Bronx. 
<laughs> so yeah, no, that's her. She she lost. She's like very like emaciated in this movie. Mm. Um, like she doesn't look. Well, healthy, she's been she's been she's been grieving grieving. Yeah, well, there you go. Exactly. Like, well, I mean, I think it's also the makeup and costuming. She's supposed to be, you know, kind of uh, living rough in certain ways. Um, well, yeah. Can we talk about the uh, the dog dogathosiosis or whatever the dog <laughs> yes dogapotheosis moment? Because <laughs> like this is like John Wick does have moments where he reclaims parts of himself. One of him being the branding, where he kind of reclaims his uh, Belarusian Roma, you know, uh, crime family heritage. Uh, for what that's worth, which is, I guess, something. But there's that wonderful, wonderful moment. And then Mr. Nobody character is just fascinating. Um, I was interested, Mark, when you said at the beginning you identified three key characters as, like, the Osaga Hotel owner, Donnie Yen, and Keanu Reeves. Because I definitely think that Mr. Nobody is, like, a key character in this movie um, also. And there's just – it's interesting how even in a movie where what people do often makes very little sense in a temporal sense where you get very invested in so many of the characters – um, but, but, but Mr. Nobody, of course, is coming to kill Keanu Reeves and what a artsy, you know, Swedish black and white style thing to have an assassin following you who is like, I will not kill you until the reward reaches the amount that I desire. Right. Like, yeah, until that time I will watch over you. And like, uh, as you continue to get more people angry at you and dig the hole of your your life's failures deeper and deeper. And at some point, you know, I will reap the harvest. He's just such a wonderful, like looming figure, but he's also so nice because he's got his dog and he writes in his notebook and he tries really hard and studies. He's got all, all of the sort of face man, baby face characteristics of a sympathetic pro wrestler. Um, and uh, and of course, he's like, I, I mean, I say that he's a person of darkness and that he's black. I think it's important because he's dispossessed. He's sort of like he wants to come into possession of himself. He's sort of been, you get the sense that he's been denied money. You know, he doesn't have the generational wealth that all these other people in the assassin world have. And I think it's important that he's black because I think that that matters for somebody who feels cheated by not having access to generational wealth. Right. Like, and uh, he also doesn't get to wear a snazzy suit like John Wick does. No, but he has a he has a beanie also that's also black. Uh, But no, he doesn't get to wear a snazzy suit, but he has a dog. So he's sort of like you get I get you get the sense, too, that it's like this is a guy who could become John Wick. Like he could be the next John Wick, but he's not there yet. He's sort of like either the ghost of John Wick Christmas past or like, you know, a super boy in the death and return of Superman. If we're looking at sort of different facets of a John Wick who has died and is going to like have to come back to life at the end of the movie. Uh, And of course, he writes in his notebook in the dark black ink. that's very thick uh, because he kind of lives in the darkness. Um, But uh, but like you don't know how that plot's going to resolve. I don't know if you guys I had no idea it was going to resolve this way. I probably should have seen it coming, but I didn't at all and was totally taken by surprise. And it was so elegant and beautiful. And it happened so fast, right? That moment where it's like they're going to kill each other. The bad, the, the, the bad guy's right there. And John Wick sees the dog. And and it was just – it was so wonderful because the movie just reaches back because this whole movie, John Wick – I mean in that – in the waterfall, you can't even see his face. It's like vague sense of his facial features being erased by sort of pounding of hundreds of gallons of water with light shining on it. You know, and like he's like – you he's from the top down. You, you doesn't get to be a human being anymore. He's just a hotline Miami character, right? Like um, – He's just like uh, – as a fairly obscure video game. If you've played Hotline Miami and recognize the uh, the visual style, please sound off in our Discord. But but the point being that like what is one of the main things we know about John Wick, right? It's that, that 
don't kill his dog. <laughs> right. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's like the, what's, what's the most human thing about John wick It's like, if you kill his dog, he's going to kill you. Right. And uh, that's, that's the thing that, that sort of everybody knows about him. That's the sort of like, what did he do? He killed John wick's dog and stole his car. It's like, Oh, suddenly I know. And I understand. Right. Um, John wick dog is a sort of like, I know. And I understand. And, and the fact that they were able to bring that back in that moment where instantly it's like, he saved my dog. I know. And I understand. Right. He's John wick. Of course he's John wick. He's not just the boogeyman. He's not just this assassin. He's not just this big payday. In other words, he's not just a commodity. He's not just something that's transactional to me. You know, in, in this, you've been talking so much about the transactional nature of the relationships. His relationship with John Wick was cordial and friendly and helpful, but transactional because ultimately he wanted the money for the bounty. And when John Wick saves his dog, it ceases to be transactional, and which is funny because he did him a favor. Um, but it still is something more spiritually meaningful for that. And there's this moment after that brief moment of mutual recognition where you realize that, like, the plot with the Mr. Nobody has been resolved to an extent. Like, he might come back and help later or whatever. The fact that he sits around drinking a beer doing nothing in the final scene is amazing and such a bold choice, and I love it. But, like, there's a shot of a round window. Um, and I call it, like, call it the rose window, right? They're in Paris and right as John Wick is about to leave, probably by jumping five stories down onto a metal car for no reason, um, there's like a shot of a rose window. And I can't help but think of like of Notre, Notre Dame, right? And like, you know, you're in Paris. There's the rose window. Holy place, kind of blessed place, uh, you know, in, in the sense that this is recalling vampires. It's also recalling Highlander and the Holy Ground. But the idea that John Wick saving the dog has made this into some sort of this this garbage, garbage Home Alone death trap house into this sort of sacred cathedral of movie dog savioring is, uh, I mean, I just, I just, I just, I just thrummed with joy uh, watching that scene and kind of seeing it all come together, um, seeing him reclaim that part of himself because he hasn't really, he didn't get to be with his dog at all. This movie It's part of why he's so lonely. Mm. His dog is hanging out with Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, well, and um, Lawrence Fishburne is is in Paris a little bit, so the dogs, the dogs being boarded, you know. And oh, who, yeah, you know, yes. like uh, Sharon, who everyone pronounces Sharon for some reason, uh, <laughs> is, is uh, you know, who has, um, you know, the, the hotel did not offer border, boarding, but, sir, I would be willing to accept the responsibility. Uh, he, uh, you know, he's dead. He's dead. Lance, no. you know. Uh, Sharon, uh, morning till I join you and, and, uh, pour one out. I, I, I feel like it was a classy thing where they had, uh, uh, in memory of Lance Reddick at the, at the, you know, the very end of this, the very end of this film, you know, the dog, I'm saying the dog is being boarded and that's, that's the worst crime that's committed in the, <laughs> in the course of the, like, couldn't you find a family member? No, no, no one has family. All the families are crime families. Um, all right. Let's leave on that. Let's, let's end on the moment of, of, uh, dog apotheosis. Uh, thanks very much for listening to, uh, to us talk about John Wick chapter four. Thanks very much, Pete and Mark for podcasting. Mark, it's great to have you back and we'll be back again next week for more overthinking a podcast. So then you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. Whoa.